I get to tell you the story of Jesus, Jesus' greatest miracle. Jesus could perform miracles. He could walk on top of water. Did you know that? Jesus could turn water into grape juice. <laughs> Jesus did lots of amazing things when he was here. And do you know what he told us? He said, you can do these too. And we said, how? And he said, the light of God is what made you. And he would touch people and he would turn on their light. So one touch of Jesus and you'd be aware. God lives in me. And so you know what they said? They said, let's make him our king. They said, Jesus will be the new king. And when Jesus went into Jerusalem, they celebrated. They said, Behold, it's our new king. He can turn water into grape juice. He can walk on top of water. And you know what else he did? He even healed a blind man who couldn't see. He had his eyes shut and he opened them for him. And he said, behold, you can see. And so obviously this was a really special guy. And they wanted him to be the king because he would give everybody this light. But there were other kings, and they were in charge. And they said, if Jesus is the king, what will happen to us? Will we become his servants? Will he tell us what to do? This isn't good. Because we're in charge. We get to tell everybody else what to do. And they're saying, Jesus is going to be the king? We got to do something. You know what they did? This was a really dark time. They would take anybody who threatened the kings and they'd say, we're going to put you up on this cross next to all the other criminals who steal and, and do bad things. And this is a warning to the rest of the people. Don't break the law and don't try to overthrow our kingship. Guess what happened? Jesus said, I'm not afraid. I'm made of light. Light can't die. And they thought, well, let's put it to the test. Let's put him up there with the other criminals. They said, get on up there. They put him up there, and you know what they did? They said, we're going to wait until your light goes out. And Jesus, he looked at one of the other, the other criminals who was also on a cross with him. And the man, the criminal, he said, I believe in your light. Can you awaken the light in me? And Jesus said, it is done. And Jesus turned on the light. His name was Barabbas. And Barabbas became full of light. But then Jesus said, it is finished. My job is done. And his light went out. His light went out. And everybody thought, could it be? Was he telling the truth? He said that his light was eternal, that it could never die. Well, they wrapped up his body. The Romans and the soldiers, they said, he's a man of miracles, so we need to make sure that he doesn't perform any miracles to come back to life. They wrapped him up in a white shawl and they put him inside a tomb, inside a cave. And they put a big rock in front of it. It took 20 people to move that rock and they were pushing it in front and it went in front of the door and, and they said, no way, he's getting out. We got him in there, he's stuck forever. Nobody's going to become king but us. 
and they yelled at the rest of the people and said, that's what will happen to you if you try to become king or if you believe in the eternal light of God. And this, of course, for Jesus' best friends, they were very sad. And they were also very scared because they didn't want their lights to be put out either. But Mary, Mary was Jesus' best friend. And she said, I believe Jesus. I know that his light is real and that it will, it will show its real power. And so she couldn't stand it anymore. She said, I have to see Jesus. I have to try to wake him up. And so she went running through the night. She put her, her shawl over her head so nobody would know who it was. And she went running through the night to where Jesus was in the cave. And guess what was happening when she got there? The sun was rising. It was Easter morning. And the stone, the big stone that was in the way of the, in the, way of the, the tomb door, it was moved. She said, who moved the stone? And she saw that they had placed guards, soldiers in front of the stone to make sure nobody moved it. Guess what, what they were doing? They were sleeping. And she thought, what's going on? I have to go see my, my best friend Jesus. She went in the tomb. All that was there was the shawl they'd wrapped him in. She said, where did Jesus go? She began to cry and she said, what have they done with him? And she saw two angels, and they said, Mary, don't be scared. Jesus is coming. And Mary looked behind her, and she saw a glow. She saw a glow behind her of light. And she said, what could that be? And she was still weeping, and the, the light said, Mary. And out of the light came, and there he was. Who do you think it was? Jesus. There he was. The light was lit again. It was 10 times as bright this time. And she said, my Lord. And he said, why are you crying? Didn't I tell you that we're all made of the light of God? That there's nothing to be scared of? That even this thing that they call death when they hang you up on a cross, it can't scare me. I'm made of God's light. And he said, so are you, Mary. There's no reason to be scared. And she went to give him a big hug, and he said, wait, wait. First, he said, first, go and tell the other disciples. There was, there was 11 of them at this point. And they said, go. they said, go and tell the other disciples. Jesus said, my light is real. My light is alive. And it's going to enlighten all of my friends. And Mary went running back to where the disciples were all hiding out, they were scared and they were saying, let's hope that the, that the police and the, the soldiers don't get us and put us on those crosses. And they were praying, but they were definitely scared that they were going to also get put on, on crosses themselves. But Mary showed up and she said, Jesus is alive. I saw Jesus. His light is bright. And they could see in her eyes, she had the same light. He had awoken her to the light. And she said, Jesus is real. He came back and he's here. He's here to save us. And the disciples began to mumble, is she, uh, is she drank too much grape juice? What's, what's going on with Mary? She, we saw his light go out. And before they knew it, there was another person in the room. 
a big, brilliant glow was in the room. Who do you think it was? It was Jesus. He was there amidst them. He said, don't be scared. I'm not a ghost. He said, peace. I bring you peace. And he lit their lamps. He showed each of them that the light lived within them and that it could never die. And he said, now you, Simon, and you, Peter, and you, the other disciples, <laughs> you go all around the world now and you teach about this light that can never die, this light that created you and all the people you love. It can never die. It's, you are part of God. Now go and spread that message to the world. And this is why we celebrate Easter, because Jesus showed us we're made of the eternal light of God, and that light can never go out. So have a very happy Easter, and God bless you. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to our Easter service, and welcome to those who are joining us online and those who have been here for weekend programs, we hope you enjoyed your stay. And if you haven't had a chance to go over and see the tulips at Crystal Hermitage Garden, go after lunch, it's well worth it. We were commenting the other day, we heard many, many different languages spoken in those gardens, Chinese and Iranian, Spanish, French, it was amazing. And just here we are in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> so, our topic this week is Resurrection for Every Soul. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. In the Gospel of St. John, chapter 20, we read the inspiring account of Jesus' resurrection. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulcher, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord. Then, the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus, and stood in their midst, and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. The resurrection of Jesus, doubted by many, but affirmed by those who were close to him, was a miraculous event, though one not unique in history. For many great saints of other religions have appeared to their disciples after death. Sometimes their appearances have been, as that of Jesus was, in flesh and blood form and not only in vision. Paramahansa Yogananda relates in Autobiography of a Yogi the account of his guru, Sri Yukteswar's resurrection after his earthly passing. Miracles of this type are revealed only rarely to the masses, but accounts of them related by men and women of reputed truthfulness have inspired many devotees 
with faith in the reality of subtler than material states of existence. Resurrection, Yogananda explained, means transformation, ultimately, from any lower state of being to a higher one. Worldly consciousness cannot imagine such transformation, except in terms of, perhaps, an improvement of the present mess of pottage with the addition of a new flavoring. Divine consciousness, however, is capable of taking the base metal of worldliness and transforming it into the spiritual gold of divine wisdom and love. In keeping with this truth, the Bhagavad Gita in the ninth chapter tells us, Ah, ye who into this ill world are come, fleeting and false, set your faith fast on me, fix heart and thought on me, adore me, bring offerings to me, make me prostrations, make me your supremest joy, and undivided unto my rest, your spirits shall be guided. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Happy Easter. In the spirit of Christ's forgiveness, I have to forgive Kalidasa for stealing my sermon. <laughs> <clears throat> Must have snuck in and because he got it word for word. <clears throat> I'm going to read uh, from... Whispers from Eternity. These are wonderful prayer demands by Paramahansa Yogananda. And I'm going to read, Come to me, O Christ, as the divine shepherd of souls. Think of this. I want you to close your eyes and really listen because think of this not just as a prayer demand, but think of this as one great master reviewing the life of another great master and pointing out how we should relate to him. So come to me, O Christ, as the divine shepherd of souls. O Christ, thou rarest flower of hearts, thou didst sail the storm-tossed lake of prejudiced minds. Its evil-scented gloomy thought waves lashed thy lily-tender soul. They crucified thee with their evil, Yet didst thou shed on them the aroma of goodness and forgiveness and help them to be purified by remorse, to make them attractively sweet-scented with thine all-loving soul flower. O thou great lover of all error-torn brothers, an unseen monument of the mightiest miracle of love, was established in every heart when the magic of thy voice uttered, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Thou hast healed the cataract of hatred. 
we have now grown to see thy truth. Love thine enemies as thyself, for they are thy brothers, though sick and sleeping. Thou hast taught us not to increase their fevered blows of hatred with the bludgeons of revenge. Thine underlying sympathy has inspired us to heal our brothers, suffering in their delirium of anger with the soothing salve of divine forgiveness. Thy crucifixion reminds us of the daily crucifixion of our own fortitude by trials, of our wisdom by ignorance, of our self-control by the scathing touch of temptation, and of our love by misunderstanding. Thy test on the cross proved the victory of divine love over ignorance, of thy divine soul over flesh, of thy happiness over pain, of thy love over hatred. So are we heartened to bear our crosses bravely and with faith. Teach us, when we are crucified by harshness, to pour out only sweetness, to bear with calmness the assaults of worry, and to give understanding unceasingly to those who unjustly hate us. O shepherd of souls, wandering hearts are seeking of themselves the one fold of divine devotion. We have heard the ever-calling music of thy infinite kindness. Our desire is to find our home in thee, to receive the Cosmic Father with joyous open eyes of wisdom, and to know that all of us are sons of our own one God. Teach us to conquer the Satan of dividing selfishness, which prevents the gathering of all our brother souls into the one fold of spirit, calling to one another by the watchword, love him who loves you, and love all who love you not. Let us rally beneath the canopy of the universal oneness of Christ. Amen. The world has begun to fall out of the long-established habit of reading about the lives of great masters and more than reading about them, of using their lives as examples of how to live our own lives. We spend many months each year in India, and in India, the great scriptures, the Mahabharata and the Ramayana, are still used daily as guides. So the a mother or a father will correct their child by teaching them stories from the scriptures to show how one should lead one's life. A very wise man once said that a nation can be judged by those who it holds as its heroes. And in a wise nation, great, those with great consciousness are worshipped and held as the heroes, not those with great fortunes or or those with great military victories. But the wisdom of 
the great ones who have come to teach us. And so in this manner, let's review for a moment the last week of Jesus' life because it is one of the most powerful and instructive weeks. Most of you who were brought up as um, in, in the West have, as Christians, as most of us were, um, have some idea of the events of the last week of Jesus, even those who, who haven't attended uh, a Christian church or those of other religious persuasions generally know the story of that last week. But instead of just looking at it from an outward sense, because that is nice, it's historical, it's interesting, but it's not all that instructive. We need to look at it as a series of instructions about how we should lead our lives. And so in that sense, let's look a little bit at that, just that it's it's a it's a one of the most dramatic weeks in history. So you can't uh, delve down too deeply in a short talk like this. But the beginning of it, I mean, Jesus had a vast ministry, and that ministry throughout all of <laughs> all of Israel. But mostly, it was done in the outskirts, not in the center of power, which at that time was Jerusalem. And his fame had grown his through the miracles that he had done, through the teachings that he had done, through the crowds that began to gather around him. His fame had grown and grown. Now, think of that not as the fame of Jesus, but the power of the teachings of Jesus and the demonstration of Jesus. That had become more and more accepted and popular, and people were being drawn to it. And so as he came into Jesus, think of it as a week ago on Palm Sunday, there were crowds and crowds of people, and they were laying down their cloaks, and they were taking leaves off the trees, palm fronds, which is why we call it Palm Sunday, and they were laying those down in front of the donkey that Jesus was coming in. He was riding a donkey because it had said in the scriptures that uh, the Savior would enter in that way. And everybody was proclaiming, oh, wonderful, oh, Hosanna, Hosanna, those of you who attended the wonderful concert on, uh, on Friday evening. Uh, there's a beautiful song. Uh, Palm Sunday. And so all the crowds were, were proclaiming him. But one of the lessons to learn is that four days later, those people would turn against him. And so the seeking of popularity, the seeking of approval from the ignorant is not exactly a guideline for our life. And many of us do that. I mean, it's natural that we would seek popularity and approval from others. And the more, the better. The more approval, the better. Uh, that's a natural, one might say, human tendency, but a, a lower human tendency. What we need to do is turn those lower. The, the, the resurrection is one 
the resurrection of, of a, a dead body into a living spirit. But as Kalidasa was saying, <coughs> of a light that has seemed to have been extinguished into one that is glowing a hundred times brighter. But here, what we want to do is look at these lessons and see what's there. And so the resurrection of that lower quality of wanting approval, outward approval from the ignorant, let's transmute that. Let's look at that wanting approval of the great ones. So we should be seeking not the approval of the crowds, but the approval of Jesus. And how do we get the approval of Jesus? Well, to, in a certain sense, we don't have to do anything because we already have the approval of Jesus. But in a deeper sense, the approval of Jesus is done by the imitation of Christ, not the adoration of Christ. And so us trying to lead our lives in the way that Jesus led his, that all of the great masters have led their lives. That's how we get the approval of the great ones through attunement. And so Jesus comes in and he's, uh, the crowds are welcoming him and, and he's being proclaimed as the Savior. Immediately, the uh, powers that were in control as Kalida, he called them king, kings, but really more importantly, they were the religious leaders of the time, the Orthodox, the Pharisees, and uh, they had a whole bunch of names for them. Uh, but they were vastly threatened by someone coming with another teaching. And especially, Jesus didn't just come in meek and mild. He came in like a lion. He drove the money changers out of the temple. He took on the religious orthodox and took them on and said, you know, that your teachings are false, your life is false, and you're going you're condemning yourself and you're you're teaching people the wrong teachings. What is the lesson in that for us? Sometimes we need to challenge ignorance. Not so much outside of ourselves. A lot of people like to do that. <laughs> C.S. Lewis said, oh, many, many people want to serve God, generally in an advisory role. <laughs> and so it's quite natural to take on ignorance outside of ourself and try to overpower that with our own ignorance. But here what we have to do is take on our own ignorance and try to overpower it with truth. So the, the religious hierarchy call that the belief system. And Master said that our thoughts are like a kingdom. And so every thought is a citizen. And so when the belief systems that we hold, and those belief systems can be like Religion is about money. Religion is about getting rich. Then sometimes we need to drive those money changers out of the temple of our belief system, don't we? 
And so Jesus took on very powerfully, without hesitation, he took on a dharma or unrighteousness and he battled against it. Well, as you can imagine, that caused a reaction. Caused a reaction where they tried to extinguish his light, as Kalidasa put it. If you take on your own dharma, your own bad habits, it too is going to cause a reaction. And those old habits are going to try to extinguish your dharma. They're going to try to tell you, you don't need to be a fanatic. You don't need to meditate that much. After all, you don't want to seem strange to the population, do you? And so if you take on your own negative habits, you're going to be faced with a challenge. They're going to try to extinguish that. But if you continue in that, you will face that challenge and you will resurrect those lower qualities into higher qualities. And then as the week progressed, Jesus met with his disciples and had what's known as the Last Supper. And these are the thought citizens of our own mind that is trying to be in tune with the higher qualities, trying to be in tune with God, trying to be in tune with the Christ consciousness. And so the Christ consciousness will meet with the discipleship qualities within us. And he will symbolically say, this bread is my body. That means that everything that we take in is the body of Christ. It isn't just bread. It's everything that sustains us. Bread is a symbol of that. It's, it's the sunlight. The sunlight is the light that causes everything to grow. And so ultimately, what is bread? It's just condensed sunlight. And so take this light and treat it as my body. Master had many, many songs and chants and prayers that were essentially, oh, divine light, don't hide any longer behind these outward forms. Don't hide in the clouds. Don't hide in the flowers. Come out. Come out of the silent sky. Come out of my secret soul. Reveal yourself. Let me see you as light. And so Jesus was empowering those disciples to see the world as pure spirit, to see the bread that we eat as the body of Christ consciousness, to see wine as the blood, the life force that flows through everything as being divine. And if we can see that, then as he said to those disciples, go forth and do what I did and do miracles and do more than what I did so that Christ consciousness resides in everything. And he was empowering those thought citizens that were trying to tune in. He was empowering those with even greater energy. And so the lesson, one lesson, you all need to meditate on this, draw your own lessons, because 
the ones I draw will be maybe general, but maybe for me. But one of the lessons here is that we need to open ourselves more and more completely, especially those of us who are trying to imitate Christ or trying to go beyond that into the Christ consciousness. We need to open ourselves, open our hearts, open our minds, and receive in everything the essence of of God. And then the time of the arrest and the trial came. Now, Jesus said that at that time, he could have drawn a, a band of angels. He could have avoided all of that. But the, the lesson in there, at least one of them, is that tests will come. And if we try to avoid those tests, we won't be able to expand and grow greater. We need to accept our tests, but accept them how? Lord, let this cup pass from me. I don't necessarily want this test that's coming to me. I don't want to get cancer. I don't want to lose my money. I don't want to lose my house. I don't want this relationship to end, whatever those tests are. Lord, let me, let me avoid this. But more importantly is let me accept this test. Let thy will be done. So I'll take this test, but let me learn from that. One time, uh, Lahiri Mahashaya was walking with a disciple. Uh, they had been at the Ganges, and they were walking back to his house. And he said, take a little piece of your uh, dhoti, your, your uh, cloth, and tear it off. And the disciple said, well, why? And he said, oh, I'm going to need it. He said, oh, you know, he kind of brushed it off. They walked a block farther, and a brick fell off the roof and hit Lahiri Mahashaya on the foot and cut him, and he started to bleed. And he reached down, took a piece of his own dhoti, and wrote, ripped it off and, and tied it around his foot. Well, the disciple asked the natural question, why, if you knew that brick was going to fall off the roof, why in the world didn't you go on the other side of the street? And Lahiri's answer was, it was the karma, my karma to have that happen. And if I'd avoided it, it would have happened later ten times as strongly. So don't try to avoid the tests. Don't say, let this cup pass from me. Don't refuse to go through it. Rather, say, let thy will be done. I will reason, I will will, I will act, but guide thou my reason, will, and activity to the right thing in every circumstance. And so, so Jesus didn't avoid that test. He didn't necessarily welcome it, but he accepted it. And through that, he transformed the whole world. What kind of a story would we be telling if Jesus had said, I think I can get out of this one. <laughs> I think I'll head back up to Galilee before they, they come. 
and get me in the garden. I, I don't know that we'd be telling a story about him. So we can't avoid our tests. We have to accept them. We have to go through them, but with uplifted consciousness. And so I could go on, but I'm running out of time. So the crucifixion, the resurrection, those things are about the fact that spirit cannot die. And Jesus knew that he was spirit. The others, the disciples, were pretty sure he was right. And the rest of the people were pretty sure he was wrong. And yet, for us as disciples, that is the great challenge. That is the message of Easter, is to recognize our own divinity and the fact that that divinity cannot be quelled, cannot be killed, cannot be denied. And if we can do that, then we too will resurrect into higher qualities. So to lead this life by reading or by thinking about these great souls keeps our consciousness directed toward a higher ideal as opposed to a lower ideal. That's why our, our reading should contain uh, some spiritual literature and our daily practice should contain some chanting, some japa, some repetition. But there, this is all extremely good and it will help us to live a life that is a life lived in the imitation of Christ, of Jesus. But there is a higher message in all of this and that is that Jesus, the Christ, was not that body that he was the Christ consciousness. And it is that Christ consciousness that we're seeking to imitate, or more than imitate, to realize and become. And so as we meditate, as we still our minds, and as we go beyond, we have to start with the events and with the example of Jesus. But we have to go beyond that and realize that everything, including us, is made up of the one Spirit of God. And if we can do our spiritual practices in such a way that the mind and the senses are pushed into the background and we begin to see with a lucid vision into the depths of our own soul, then we will not imitate Christ we will become Christ. The man that was Jesus had shown his pure